Hey, I'm Kate Otten, tight end at the University of Washington, and you're listening to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the Circling Seattle Sports Podcast, the best pro, uh, mm, <laughs> the best source for all things and all Seattle sports, whether that's all seven our professional sports teams here in Seattle, as well as the nine UW teams that we cover here on the show uh, easily. I mean, the best show when it comes to the amount of content we make, the interviews, you know, the on-site people that we've got going on. There's no question about it. But that being said, we'll get into it. Episode 151 here. It's a pretty packed show. So we'll just continue in here with our Seattle Seahawks to begin things off. And team-related news, on the 5th of May, it was announced that the Seahawks will take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Germany on November 13th of 2022. It is the first ever regular season game in Germany, kicking off at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time. It'll be 9.30 a.m. Eastern time, obviously. Um, the game will be played in Alliance Arena, home of Bayern Munich. Uh, it will be the first major non-soccer event ever held at that arena, so that's pretty cool. Um, it, I'm not, you know too like extremely thrilled about it i don't really care um and you know i think it was supposed to be a home game that the seahawks were going to play and now it's just going to be in germany granted with that being said that lumenfield hasn't been the fortress that it has been for the seahawks in the past um i still would have i guess preferred to have the home game so i'm not like sitting over here losing my mind over playing in germany it'll be a cool experience obviously but you know, you're still playing against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers who've got, a, a you know, loads of talent. Um, but again, it's just, you know, I'm not like jumping for joy over here with that announcement. Um, also on the fifth, it was announced that KJ Wright has spoken with Seattle. The free agent linebacker said that he is uh, hopeful to have a reunion with the Seahawks. Pete Carroll commented on these, uh, this quote saying that the, the two sides have spoken, but did not really go further than that. It sounded like Pete was alluding to potentially a future uh, in Seattle with KJ Wright, like a coaching position or somewhere in the staff, but it didn't really seem like he was set on bringing Wright in, in a player role, uh, just kind of with the youth movement that Seattle has going on currently. Uh, at the linebacker position, you look at Boye Mafe, uh, Jordan Brooks, they're trying to get Cody Barton more involved, you know, and Chenna Nwosu just does not seem like it's in the cards for the Seahawks to bring in a guy like Wright. I would love to have that leadership um, and would love to have the mind that KJ's got, but I don't think it makes sense. Not necessarily even with the fact that they're going to a three, four defense. I'm sure you could find a place for them um, in that three, four, but it just seems like at the moment that they kind of deflected and it doesn't seem like that's something that's going to happen. Um, so I know we'll, we'll keep tabs on that obviously, but I'm not, too sure how far that may go on the six it was announced that cornerback kobe bryant will wear the number eight the seahawks rookie who was named after the nba legend kobe bryant uh, chooses a fitting jersey number to begin his nfl career i know that bill garcia and our css on converge episode had some thoughts on this and while i understand that i don't really care it's just as, as long as you back up your play on the field wear whatever the hell number you want but if it becomes too much of a spectacle that you're wearing this number and it outshines your actual production on the field then it becomes an issue. Um, also on the sixth, four uh, Seahawks draft picks signed their rookie deals, including cornerback Tariq Woolen, uh, wide receiver Tyreek, uh, defensive end, pardon me, Tyreek Smith, wide receivers uh, Bo Melton and Derek Young. Sorry, skipping ahead there. Uh, so cool to see that, but I'm interested to see more of the numbers when it comes to the higher draft picks like Charles Cross, Kenneth Walker Jr., uh, and the Mafia getting signed. Um, 
Also on the six, the Seahawks will travel a lot this season. The team will travel the most miles of any team in the league, totaling 29,446 miles. They will cross 34 time zones across their 17-game slate. Um, Seattle will travel 23,000 more miles than the Steelers. Pittsburgh will travel the fewest in the NFL at 6,442. Pittsburgh will not even leave the Eastern time zone, which is pretty wild to think about and honestly a little ridiculous. Um, but I mean, that's kind of the issue that Seattle faces being in the top corner, um, of the league. So it's, you know, the top corner of the country, pardon me, let alone the league. So, I mean, it, it sucks, but I feel like Seattle in recent years has been doing better, uh, with their 10 AM games as compared to, you know, earlier in the Pete Carroll era. So we'll see how much of an issue that may be, um, on May 7th, Pete Carroll says that drew lock would be the number one quarterback in this year's draft. If he was available, the CX head coach says that drew lock is better than any quarterback in the 2022 draft. Also stating that he does not envision the team trading for a quarterback. The team reportedly felt that Hubert, uh, also on the seventh, sorry, the team felt that quarterback Malik Willis was nowhere near NFL ready, likely leading to the reason that they did not select him. Also aiding in uh, Carol's comments about Drew Locke there. Continuing over with team related news here. So just before we continue to league related news, I mean, the team news, news just kind of Seahawks playing the Buccaneers in Germany. KJ Wright speaking with Seattle, but doesn't seem like there's going to be much traction there. Uh, Kobe Bryant selecting his jersey number, a couple of Seahawks draft picks selecting their uh, signing their rookie deals. Uh, some news on the travel, and then Pete Carroll essentially doubling down on Drew Locke. At the end of the day, I think I've accepted it. If the Seahawks are able to find a way to fix Drew Locke, go ahead. Totally fine. If he's able to be able to be an average to above average quarterback, perfectly fine. But that's still up to see. There's still games to play. But I think I'm at that point where it's like, all right, the Seahawks have doubled down on it. They've essentially put their, uh, they've locked in their their bets, and we're just here to to watch along the ride. In league-related news, on the 3rd of May, Ryan Tannehill had interesting comments to say about Malik Willis, stating, I don't think that it's my job to mentor him, Tannehill said in the press conference. If he learns from me, that's a great thing. It's a little odd. It was also funny because Hall of Famer uh, Kurt Warner, uh, quarterback, said that, uh, he basically said, this is bullshit. If any quarterback needs to be mentored, I can, uh, he volunteered. So that was cool to see. But Tannehill, I don't know. It's funny to me just because Tannehill's never exactly been the, the guy or an elite quarterback in any sense of the word. And he's making comments like this, you know, if it was, you know, Patrick Mahomes and they draft a guy like Willis and was like, eh, I don't really think, you know, it's my job to do that right now, considering my level of play and, you know, how I feel like my job is secure to this team. Not really the case. Um, also on the third, Adrian Peterson will seek help. The longtime NFL running back and former Seahawk Adrian Peterson will undergo 20 sessions of both domestic violence and alcohol counseling following his arrest a few months ago at LAX. On May 5th, Cleveland Browns are unwilling to negotiate Baker Mayfield's release. The Browns want to avoid paying the full price of Mayfield's fifth-year option that they previously guaranteed. Some more sticky situation over there in Cleveland. Uh, Laker legend Magic Johnson joins the bid for the Denver Broncos. We have an update on this, by the way. Uh, the team, uh, Johnson has teamed up with uh, the 76ers co-owner for an attempt uh, in an attempt to purchase the team. Uh, Johnson is currently a part owner of the LA Dodgers um, and the LA Sparks. Uh, Denver's NFL franchise is for sale and is expected to go for an extremely high price around $5 billion. So we'll, see how that goes um also on the fifth uh, the raiders ex-president speaks out dan ventrell 
uh, Ventrell, uh, says that he informed the NFL of a hostile work environment and he was later fired by Mike Mark Davis in retaliation. On May 6th, a warrant was issued for the former Seahawks arrest. Earl Thomas, uh, former Seahawks free safety, is reportedly facing a felony arrest warrant after police said that he violated his estranged wife's protective order multiple times. On May 7th, uh, Sherman Richard Sherman may be eyeing a TV stop, spot. The longtime Seahawks corner is reportedly in deep talks. Um, with Amazon for a broadcasting role. So that would be really interesting for Richard. I would more than happily enjoy that. Um, yesterday, on the also on the 9th, uh, the Dallas mayor wants a second NFL team. Eric Johnson tweets that the city could host another team in addition to the Cowboys, which doesn't make sense. It's stupid. I just shoot that then immediately. Uh, today on the 10th, Tom Brady announces that he will join Fox Sports. Uh, Brady will be the network's lead NFL analyst whenever his playing career ends. Um, oops, had more to that. Uh, let's see what else we got on that. His playing career. Yeah. It's a 10 year deal that Brady will sign when he joins, um, Fox after his playing career ends, uh, for 379, uh, $75 million. It is the longest contract in sports casting history. That is insane. Um, so Looking ahead, it just seems like, uh, well, the schedule release takes place in two days. I believe it's on May 12th. We will find out when and where the Seahawks will play, and we'll get that out to you, obviously, when that drops on our social medias. Um, but also, we'll recap that in next week's episode. So I guess we'll just put schedule release there. Um, as we head over to our Mariners here, uh, played the a three-game set against the Astros, a four-game set against the Rays, and last night played game one of a three-game set against the Phillies. May 2nd at the Astros in the first of three on the road, a 0-3 to loss. And as you know, when we get shut out, there's no player of the game. May 3rd at the Astros, a 0-4 to loss. So again, no player of the game. But just acknowledgement of history here and some barriers being broken down. Dusty Baker makes history, becoming the 12th MLB manager with 2,000 wins and the first black manager to reach that achievement. On the fourth at the Astros, Seattle lost two to seven, getting swept by Houston down in Trop. Um, no, I think it's oh, shoot. I forgot what the name of that ballpark is. Anyway, uh, so we've you know two to seven loss at the Astros. Player of the game, third baseman Eugenio Suarez, with one uh, going one for three with a run and two RBIs. The team traveled back home to T-Mobile Park to play a four-game stretch against the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, just a week after playing them down in Tampa Bay, May 5th versus the Rays in the first game of the series, a three to four loss player of the game designated a hitter that night, Adam Frazier going one for three with one run and one RBI May 6th versus the Rays, a seven to eight loss. So a tough one there. Jared Kelnick came in, I believe he had a homer in the bottom of the eighth inning and as a, in a pinch hit effort, a uh, two run blast to give Seattle the lead, but it would go as for not, uh, I believe Manuel Margot, uh, hit a go ahead home run in the top of the ninth. And then Seattle wasn't able to complete that comeback. So May 6th at the Rays, 78 loss, player of the game, third baseman Eugenio Suarez, going two for three with two homers, uh, recording three runs, three RBIs, and walking twice. So Suarez had a great game. May 7th versus the Rays, a two to eight loss. So a brutal loss to lose the series there against Tampa Bay. Third of the game, second baseman Adam Frazier going two for three with one RBI and one walk. And then to close out the series versus the Rays, a two to one win in 10 innings, walking that game off. Uh, play of the game, starting pitcher George Kirby uh, going six innings, allowing four hits, 
no runs, no earned runs, no walks, and seven strikeouts. He becomes the first pitcher in franchise history to throw six scoreless innings in his MLB debut. Ty France walks it off in the bottom of the second, if uh, bottom of the tenth, pardon me. So if we were going to have a second player of the game, it would be Ty France for that walk off there. Um and then last night's game, May 9th versus the Phillies in the first of a three-game stretch, the first time that the Mariners have played the Phillies since 2017 was a 0-9 to loss. We're not even going to look at that. That's just fucking brutal. That was terrible. Um, so we will move on from that. Uh, we head over to player of the week. I had first baseman Ty France and 29 at-bats, recording eight hits, one RBI, eight total bases, one walk. This was before the Philly game, by the way. A 276 batting average, a 300 on base percentage, a 276 slugging percentage, a 576 on base plus slugging, and a one walk off hit. Um, Bell had Julio Rodriguez uh, going, uh, having 25 at bats, two runs, six hits, one triple, eight total bases, two walks, a 240 um, batting average, a 296 on base percentage, a 320 slugging percentage for a 616 on base plus slugging. Uh, on May 3rd, as we head over to injury related news, uh, outfielder Kyle Lewis began his rehab assignment with the Tacoma Rainiers and is currently with the Rainiers as they're playing the game right now. He's actually been playing pretty well. Uh, let me take a look at those stats. We'll get those really quick here. Um, um, so before we head into this game, he was hitting a slash lineup 353, 389, 765. With a 181 WRC plus a 5.6% strikeout rate and 18 plate appearances. Not bad. Um, not bad. Obviously, that's AAA, but uh, Kyle Lewis is not doing bad down there in Tacoma. Um, on May 7th, Tom Murphy was placed on the 10 day injured list. The catcher had a dislocated shoulder. Also, on the 7th, shortstop JP Crawford was pulled from the game uh, with back spasms and has not played since. There's a hope that he'll play today against the Phillies in game two. May 8th, right handed pitcher and reliever Ken Giles was transferred to the 60 day injured list with a right middle finger sprain. So, that's not ideal. You know, Giles can bring a lot to this bullpen uh, that already has seen some injuries. Um, and you know, the club having signed him to a two-year deal and being in the second of a two-year deal would like to see him sooner rather than later. Um, but obviously, whenever you can get him, he'll surely be in a, a welcome addition to the ball club. Just would like to have that, obviously, like I said, sooner rather than later. As we head over to team-related news on May 5th, uh, some roster moves were made. Right-handed pitcher Ryan Riley O'Brien was recalled from AAA Tacoma. Left-handed pitcher Danny Young was selected from that AAA Tacoma. Right-handed pitcher Matt Brash was optioned to AAA Tacoma, and the Mariners seemed to want to use him more as a reliever. They likened it to Edwin Diaz's rise in 2017. Right-handed pitcher Matt Festo was placed on the 15-day injured list. Left-handed pitcher Nick Margavichis was designated for assignment. Right-handed pitcher Matt Koch cleared waivers and was outrighted to AAA Tacoma. May 7th, some big news there, as George Kirby was called up from AA Arkansas Travelers. Uh, so Kirby, you know, with the news that Matt Brash went down, they brought Kirby up to the show, and he had that nice debut. Before we continue, though, I want to caution people that um, to not get too high on Kirby right now because, you know, it's his debut game. People don't know his stuff very well at all. People are going to watch film on it and probably be able to better attack his stuff in the second go-around and third go-around, obviously. So caution, because if he comes out and he gets smoked in the next few games, I want you to know why. I want you to know why. On the 7th, catcher Cal Raleigh was also recalled from AAA Tacoma. On the 8th, 
uh, right-handed pitcher Riley O'Brien was optioned to Triple A Tacoma. Um, on the ninth, uh, left-handed pitcher Nick Margavichis was designated. Uh, well, no, was optioned to Tacoma. I think he cleared waivers, so he was sent down to Tacoma. Heading over to league-related notes. So just recapping for the Mariners, a really tough past week. I think they've won one in their last eight games. Um, Jesus, that's bad. Um, one in their last eight. Uh, Kyle Lewis is doing well down in Tacoma right now. Uh, J.P. Crawford, Tom Murphy, Mitch Hannig are all injured right now. Could certainly help this offense out. Uh, George Kirby is up here, and that'll certainly be interesting. And then certainly interesting to see how the club handles uh, Matt Brash and his career as it continues on. But overall, not the easiest week in Mariners land. Um, definitely a tough time. And it's early May again, but, you know, there was a lot of things that I still felt um, that this ball club could do in free agency in the offseason as a whole. Obviously, that was hampered by the lockout, but not exactly uh, not exactly ideal. Heading over to leak notes on May 2nd, an MLB umpire ums up to his mistake. This is the first instance that we have of this in the past week. Home plate umpire Chad Fairchild admitted to Mets pitcher Chris Bassett that he had missed a strike call during the game, apologizing after the inning had ended. So that was kind of cool to see that accountability and hopefully a learning moment there to, you know, do better in the future. On May 4th, Kelsey Whitmore makes more history. If you remember, Kelsey uh, became the first woman to play in an Atlantic League game last week. Uh, Whitmore became the first woman to pitch in an Atlantic League game this week, uh, getting out of a bases-loaded jam. So congratulations to Kelsey there. On the 5th of the month, another MLB umpire owns up to his mistake. Umpire Dan Bellino issues an apology after controversially ejecting Madison Bumgarner on their game Wednesday, taking full responsibility. It was uh, one of the substance checks um, after the inning. And I think there were some words said between Bumgarner and Bellino. And Bumgarner said some words, Bellino said some words, and then he was immediately ejected. So that's that situation. On the eighth, the Mets cut Robinson Cano. The former Mariner was released by the Mets, making him uh, a free agent. The 39-year-old second baseman is still owed $39 million. Uh, from the New York Mets. That's kind of a funny situation, but um, interesting to see what step takes place next in Robbie's career. So uh, with that being said, the Mariners now sit at 13 and 17 in their record. I think they're in fourth in the West now. Let's take a look. Oh God, that's disappointing. Oh God. Let's go take a look. Um, Standings. No, you're still third. Okay. But you're barely above Texas. Wow, Texas has a better run differential than you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Anyway, we'll get to ignore that. Um, looking ahead, so obviously May 9th versus the Phillies is done. May 10th versus the Phillies, a 6.40 p.m. start. May 11th versus the Phillies, a 12.40 p.m. start. That's a matinee game there. May 13th, the team travels over to New York to play the Mets for a three-game stretch. The Mets are playing really good baseball right now, so it won't get any easier for the Mariners. May 13th through 15th. May 13th and 14th are both 4.10 p.m. starts pacific time and then may 15th at the mets to close out that that series is a 10 40 a.m start heading over to our seattle storm here over the past week opened their season their regular season with a home game and then traveled down to las vegas to play a road game may 6th at home versus the minnesota Lynx, a 97 to 74 win player of the game forward brianna stewart uh, recording 17 points three assists and eight rebounds 
May 8th at the Vegas Aces, a 74-85 loss. Player of the game forward, Brianna Stewart, with 21 points, two assists, eight rebounds. Stewie hitting 3,000 points, tying with Tiana Tarasi and Simone Augustus for the second fastest player to reach 3,000. Um, just to look over these past two games here, something that really stuck out was the bench performance in these past two games. I think uh, in that home opener game, the big three and Stewie, Jewel Lloyd, and Sue Bird all performed really well. Jewel, um in the third quarter turned things on really well and looked like Drew Lloyd that we saw last year. It looks like she's just going to pick up where she left off. Brianna Stewart um, started off rough from the field two for 10 and then really started to click. Um, and Sue Bird uh, with nine assists recorded the most assists she's had since I think June 4th of last year. Um, so the big three did their part, but the the depth and the bench really showed out Gabby. Well, Gabby Williams was a starter I'm talking about the defensive there, but Brian January played a solid defensive game. John tell lavender played really great off the bench. Um, Steph Talbot played really well defensively. So um, really interesting to see, you know, that depth unit that, you know, was talked about. We talked about it a lot over the past few months, whether it was on the podcast, excuse me, or on CSS on converge, it was just kind of like, Hey, is this bench going to be able to help this unit? go deep in the playoffs and they showed out and then in the game against the aces it was the starters that were outscored by the vegas starters which you know vegas has a great starting five um and the bench outperformed the it really they outperformed the uh the starters for the storm and uh, they outperformed their counterparts in the aces bench um it was it was really noticeable though that Aja wilson was able to do a lot of damage in the paint i think at halftime or so um, Vegas had 20 points in the paint and Seattle had two. So that's something big there. And obviously you have to wonder if you're missing out on um, having Mercedes Russell obviously could be a a big help getting her back when she's able to be fully healthy. Uh, Speaking about Russell though, uh, an injury related news on the fifth, we got sort of an update on Russell. She's going to be out three to five weeks with a non-basketball injury. So that's obviously very vague and not very helpful. Um, The team said that there will be a more specific return date that will be provided when available. So again, not very helpful, very vague, no idea what's going on. So we'll see about that, but it's just going to have to be on Ezzy Magbagor, John Tell Lavender, and possibly some Rashonda Gray to really hold that position down until until Mercedes gets back. In team-related news, uh, we have some roster moves on the 4th. The Seattle continue to whittle their roster down, waving Evina Westbrook, Kennedy Burke, and Kiki Herbert-Harrigan. Now, this was obviously disappointing as, you know, Herbert, I know Westbrook had a really good performance. Uh, I believed in preseason and really was making her impact, but with the way that roster sizes are with the way that the WNBA is um, and with how important this year is, how critical this year is um, Seattle didn't see it fit, which sucks because it would nice. A lot of the players suggested having some like practice squad players places like two of them, just so they, those players can develop, be with the team still and just get better. And, you know, maybe you're in a spot at some point. Um, but that, that wasn't the case. Obviously, the guard position is really stacked. You know, we look at, obviously, Suber, Drew Lloyd, uh, Epiphany Prince, Brian January. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tough position. Uh, and, and Pip, I know that there was some talk that maybe Pip might get cut in um, for Westbrook. But Pip has played great in these past two games off the bench, providing great scoring and uh giving some good looks to teammates so it's 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 a tough it's a tough situation but with how much is on the line with it being Subert's final year 
um, it, it's just like, hey, we have to win now. We can't even really think about the future. So I, I get it. It sucks, but I get it. On the fifth, the team released their opening day roster. The guard spot goes Sue Bird, Jewel Lloyd, Epiphany Prince, Beyond January, and Jade Melbourne. So Melbourne listed on the roster, interestingly enough, but obviously I think that it's the same situation that they had with Ezra Magbagor telling her to stay in Australia, continue to develop. You know, we can't really have you get any minutes right now. But, you know, with Sue gone, with January playing her last year as well, you'll more than likely have a spot next year. At the forward spot, uh, Brianna Stewart, Stephanie Talbot, Rashonda Gray, and Gabby Williams. At the center spot, Mercedes Russell, Essie Magbagor, and Jontel Lavender. So already kind of talked about all of those players as, you know, the first two games have gotten underway. Uh, also on, I believe that was what the fifth uh, force for change. The storm stats will raise money for organizations benefiting local BIPOC youth. Every free throw will be 2000 miles uh, airline miles from Alaska airlines to the technology access foundation. Every 50 assists will be $1,000 from BECU to the young women empowered movement. Um, every three pointer will be $50 uh, from Carter Subaru to Treehouse. Uh, every block will be $70 from Coinbase towards TechBridge. And every rebound will be $10 from Denali AI to communities in school. So cool there. I know that the Storm have already done most of those things, but I think that the Coinbase towards TechBridge is brand new. On the ninth, Sue Burt and Brianna Stewart will be featured in the 2022 Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition uh, for this year, dropping on May 19th. So if you know where the hell you can find a newsstand still, I don't really know where you can go and find those anymore or i think you can order them online it'll it's really cool um it's stewie sue uh tia copper uh dd richards and um oh shoot uh, oh neka agumake um are the five women uh that are going to be representing the wnba uh, i think it's just more of a celebration of their evolution as a league um which is, again, it's really cool to see, uh, but obviously we have to highlight the two Storm players that are um, part of that there. Um, as we head over to league-related notes, the United States are discussing bringing Brittany Griner home. The U.S. State Department is ready to get involved after the WNBA star was reclassified as wrongfully detained by Russia. Previously, the U.S. was essentially set to let the case play itself out, which was already shitty on its own. Um, in some smaller notes, all WNBA courts have the BG decal um, on their ports, uh, including her number of 42. Several players, uh, uh, Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd, mentioned you know, the impact of having that on the court, just knowing that, you know, thinking about it, I believe today is 81 days since she was detained. So um, just hoping that Brittany is still doing fine over there, hopefully, and just that she gets back here sooner, much sooner, rather than later. Uh, continuing with league notes, several WNBA stars, including Brianna Stewart, called for the WNBA to increase roster sizes and salary cap amid roster cuts. Um, obviously, we're talking about that a little bit there. And then Chicago will be the host city of the WNBA All-Star Week in 2022. AT&T All-Star Game is set for Sunday, July 10th on ABC. And the league will introduce a new two-day WNBA Live event outdoors at Chicago's McCormick Place. Uh, Seattle sits at one and one in their record third in the Western conference at the current moment, looking ahead, they play two games against the Phoenix Mercury may 11th on the road in Phoenix with a 7 PM Pacific time start and may 14th versus the Phoenix with a 12 PM Pacific time start. That game will be broadcast on ABC heading over to the Sounders here as they continue their regular season and become champions of the CONCACAF champions league. 
uh, May 4th versus Pumas in leg two, a three to nothing win, winning five to two on aggregate. Player of the game, Raul Ruiz Diaz, two goals on seven shots, five on target in 89 minutes. Raul got the starting going, got the first two goals. Nico Ladero put the final nail in the coffin with his third goal, I believe, in the 89th minute. Seattle celebrated. The house Lumen Field was packed on a Wednesday night, let alone. Uh, it was huge. Pumas had a great following. Uh, they, their fans were great, had some chats with some of them. They, they showed out. They did a great job. Um, it was historic, not only in the fact that Seattle became the first MLS team to win that, and I think the first team in 22 years to win a CONCACAF trophy, um, but also it set the record and attendance for CCL. It was, it was huge. I really, again, cannot overstate um, how important that win was. I mean, it really continues to solidify Seattle as, you know, soccer city, USA, you know, fuck Portland and that bullshit. Um, but that was huge. And it was incredible to see that uh, Seattle really showed out. And, you know, as one of the deeper rosters in MLS this year, uh, maybe all time, they, they did their part in the first of, you know, three trophies that hopefully they could collect this year. Um, and they qualified for the club world cup. So that's something, and we'll continue to learn about that. I think uh, it was said that two potential opponents for Seattle were Liverpool or Real Madrid. So, I mean, <laughs> we'll see about that, but um, that was, that was great. That was really cool. Uh, and then continuing over to uh, MLS play May 7th at FC Dallas, a zero to two losses this is a really depth heavy roster that showed out. Um, I mean, not totally surprised. Uh, I, 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 again, I would say that if, Seattle continues to lose games past this in MLS play, then I'd be worried. But this game coming three days after the uh, three days after the final, I really don't care that much, you know, in a game against FC Dallas. I know that, you know, in, in past years, Seattle in the early part of the season has really struggled to get points on the board and, you know, just look how they've done in recent years. So, you know, I, well, not last year, but, you know, um, I'm not too worried about it, really. Um, heading over to injury news, unfortunately, with that uh, CCL win, there was some negatives that came with it. On the fifth, uh, we found out some injuries. Uh, Nuhu, who got both Nuhu and Jarpello came out of that game on the fourth early. Uh, so Nuhu has a thigh contusion. Haven't really heard too much update-wise on that. Jarpello has an ACL tear. There was notes on the night of that it may be a possible ACL tear. Was going to hope that that wasn't the case but we do find out that that was confirmed. Joe Paulo will miss the rest of the season. So Seattle loses his MVP finalist uh, for the season. Unfortunately, that really, you know, that really sucks. He's hoping the best of recoveries for Zhao, but you know, that's really unfortunate. So uh, Seattle now sits at a two, five and one record in MLS play 13th in the Western conference. Looking ahead, they play May 11th versus San Jose earthquakes with a 7 PM Pacific time start. This is at Starfire sports complex not Lumen Field, Starfire Sports Complex. Um, and it is a U.S. Open Cup round of 32 games. So tomorrow on the 11th, we have the Mariners and the Sounders. CSS will be at both of those games in attendance. Um, as I mentioned, you know, with CCL, uh, there are, that is the first check mark and three trophies that the Sounders are hoping to win this year. Not only a CCL final, but the U.S. Open Cup and the MLS Cup. So check one check of three so we'll see how that goes and then may 13th 15th they return home back to lubin field um to play minnesota united with a 1 p.m kickoff so continuing mls play continuing u.s open cup 
Um, heading over to our Seattle Kraken here, we have a little Kraken season in review. It's more so uh, superlatives. Uh, MVP, Yanni Gord. I think that Yanni Gord, uh, just a guy that was active all the time, contributed not only in goals, but assists as well, brought great energy, brought some leadership, and I really think that he could wear the captaincy next year. Rookie of the year, Matty Beniert. I think this was an obvious choice. Um, Seattle had some rookies that did contribute on their roster, uh, but Beniers, you know, in the time that he was uh, with the roster, I think he had nine points in five games. I could be wrong. Five or six, I believe. And just, I think that a full off season with this training staff, uh, with his teammates will be a lot, will be great for him. And I think he'll only obviously get better. I think the rules, the, the ceiling is, there is no ceiling. So I'm really excited to see what Beniers can do. Uh, defender of the year I went with Adam Larson over Alexiak I know that there's been a lot of love for Alexiak in terms of his play this season but Adam Larson playing in every single game for Seattle um, and you know providing not only his defensive efforts but his offensive efforts in terms of assists and goals um, really I thought was the most valuable in the defenseman room you could have gone with Vince Dunn I think it would have been 1A for me Adam Larson 1B Vince Dunn but I went with Larson simply because of the fact that he was available in every single one of his games uh, that the team played. The goaltender, I know that this might be a controversial thing and that there were squabbles about the goaltender throughout the year, but I went with Philip Grubauer. I thought that he really performed down the stretch following the midway point of the season. And again, in every one of Gruby's stops in the NHL, he's taken, I'd say, a year or so to get acclimated with his new club. So he he started to get going in the second half of the season. And I think you bring in a couple better defensemen in front of him. You improve this team with the, the, the capital that you got. You see, you want to be a winning hockey team next year. Improve in front of your netminders. You cannot put shit defenders in front of your netminders and expect to win games. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So I, I went with Philip. I thought he performed well this year uh, following the midway point of the season. Favorite moment of the year, I went with the 5-3 to three win over the Florida Panthers, uh, you know, playing one of the best teams in the league at home. Seattle is well out of the playoff race, uh, and you, you beat Florida. Yanni Gord gets a good fight in there. The place was rocking. It was, it was my favorite game of the year. And then breakout year candidate um, for next year, I went with Philip. I thought that you know there was a lot of, oh, maybe you want to move on for Philip. I don't think you're going to want to do that. Um, I think that he'll be able to turn things around next year and again bring in some um some solid defensemen in front of him in addition to you know Larson, Alexiak, Dunn, Sushi Borg, and bringing a couple more guys there. Um, or you might get a uh, Riker Evans up here, who knows? And I think you'll you'll be in better shape and I think he'll have a great season next year. So uh heading over to Team Nose is obviously we don't really have much injury news since it's the off season. Uh May 7th, the Kraken signed uh defenseman Petro Sapala to a two-year entry-level contract uh for six hundred and seventy-two thousand five hundred AAV. His contract will begin at the start of the 2022-2023 season. Cool from Ron Francis here on Petro. Petro is a young defenseman who skates well and has an offensive upside. Uh, he's proven himself in the highest ranks in Finland and we're excited to be adding him to our organization. I believe they said that he can get some uh, chance next year in training camp for the Kraken. So I think more than likely he's going to end up in Coachella next year. Um, you know, when you're splitting time with the Panthers, you're not going to have a full roster of AHL players because you're splitting that AHL team. And at some point, Seattle's going to need to round out that AHL roster. So I think that's essentially part of it. 
with that move there on the ninth, the Kraken signed forward Max McCormick to a two-year extension worth 762,500 AAV. He had a solid season in Charlotte playing in 10 NHL games this season. Um, and uh, a lot of quotes were that he had a great leadership presence down in Charlotte um, as well as spending some time with the club. Okay, so continuing over with uh, league-related news in the NHL, Philadelphia fires their head coach, the Flyers. Flyers, fire, Flyers, fire. Uh, fire Mike Yao, who took over during the season for former coach Alan Vigneault. Uh, Philly went 17 wins, 36 losses, 7 overtime losses with Yao, missing the postseason. The Islanders also fired their head coach. More of a surprise there as Islanders president and general manager Lou Lamorello uh, decided to move on from Barry Trotz after four seasons and three postseason appearances, which is kind of odd, three and four. I know that was a big surprise around the NHL. Will it really be interesting to see where Trotz ends up? Uh, I know that there's been some poking around to see if he would end up in Seattle. I highly doubt that. It's pretty malpractice to you know have an inaugural season, have a first-year coach, um, not really let him get everything set in place for how he wants to see things played and then ship him off when someone else becomes available. Obviously, I know that there was some controversy around hiring Haxall in the first place, but I just think it's pretty malpractice to do that. Really interesting to see how it works next year. I'd say, you know, if things don't aren't working out in uh, a few more years, sure, fine, move on. But at this current point, I think it's pretty malpractice. Um... So, moving on to the OL Reign here, as they finished up Challenge Cup, unfortunately, and began their regular season at home. Uh, game recap on the 4th at the Washington Spirit in the Challenge Cup semifinal game that was supposed to be played in Seattle, but because of the league not really wanting to reschedule it, um, was played down at Audi Field down at Washington, so it was a home game for Washington. Uh, the rain lost 8-9 to nine in a penalty shootout, so obviously going past the five rounds, going into sudden death, Seattle converting, well, Seattle, the rain converting 8, Washington converting 9, um, uh, no player of the game there. I can't really, it's, it's frustrating to talk about this game because it shouldn't have even gone to a shootout. Uh, Washington recorded a handball in the box right around the final minute of the match, and it was not called. There was the rain players on the field and the rain staff on the sideline were visibly upset because a handball wasn't called. This game shouldn't have even gone to a shootout. And, you know, here we are. Um, so the rain losing that in the Challenge Cup semifinal. The final itself was a whole thing, and we'll get to that in league-related newts. Newts? Um, but continuing on the 8th, in the first home game of the regular season, uh, May 8th versus Racing Louisville, a 2-2 draw. Player of the game for Ziara King, Z, recording two goals on two shots in 55 minutes, recording her first career brace uh, at the professional level. This game was also marred by some controversy. There was a lot of fouls, uh, and the goal that equalized it for Louisville uh, shouldn't necessarily have been a goal. I know that there were some repays that, repays? Replays that were... Um, people saw oh it's obvious that it crossed the line it wasn't really that obvious there was no definitive view and it's just unfortunate because there's no replay in the NWSL there's no VAR there's no goal line technology um so you know the rain split points with racing in that game uh in their first home game of the regular season uh, looking into league news, Kevin Durant joins New Jersey, New York, Gotham FC as an ownership, uh, w- 
the ownership group, uh, part of 35 Ventures founded by Durant. The former Supersonic is now a minority investor in Gotham FC. The Challenge Cup issues continue, as I mentioned. Uh, the semifinal sees a handball in the box that did not get called as regulation ends. And the final sees numerous injuries, including a seizure uh, and missed calls that outshined the game itself. Uh, league expansion potentially coming. I know that there was uh, Angel City FC and San Diego Wave joining the league officially this year with their clubs. Um, but record-setting attendance for the start of the regular season shows a surge in fan interest, uh, says Commissioner Jessica Berman. Potentially seeing some expansion, continued expansion, would be nice. But, you know, I think that there are problems that the, ra- the NWSL need to figure out um, about the current league that they've already got, let alone continuing to add more teams. So the Reign have a zero win, one draw, one loss record in NWSL play, sitting at uh, 10th in the NWSL table amongst 12 teams. Looking ahead, their next match is May 13th at the Portland Thorns with a 7.30 p.m. Pacific time start. Heading over to our Seattle Seawolves here to wrap up the pro teams. May 8th versus the Dallas Jackals as the Seawolves continue to look for that playoff spot in the MLR Western Conference. Uh, May 8th, they took on the Jackals at home. The Jackals in their inaugural season going 0-12 heading into this game. Uh, Seattle winning that game 74-7, setting a Major League Rugby record for the most points scores in a match at 11 and the biggest scoring margin. Uh, Player of the game, captain and number 8, Reichert Hatting. Two tries and a huge win over Dallas, currently leading MLR with 10 tries on the season so far. Uh, <laughs> this was exactly the game that Seattle needed to have against a not only a bad Dallas team, but hopefully to give themselves some momentum as they head into the final three games of the season. Three of those games against uh, either teams that have already basically secured a spot in the playoffs and then a team in Houston that is fighting for that third playoff spot in the West as well uh, with Seattle. So that was huge to get that underway. It was huge to, to hope, just see Seattle put out a huge effort, and hopefully that uh, gives them some momentum heading into these final three games. In league-related news, the MLR announced the 2022 draft time and process. It is the third annual collegiate draft. 39 players will be selected over three rounds. It will air on Thursday, August 18th at 4 p.m. Pacific time on FS2, and the later picks will be on the Rugby Network. This year's draft is open to U.S. and Canadian collegiate athletes. Uh, the order of selection will be determined by the inverse order of standings from the 2022 MLR season. Teams will have until the midpoint of the season uh, after the player's collegiate uh, eligibility ends to reach an agreement with that respective player. Seattle sits at a 7-6 and record, uh, third in the Western Conference with 36 points uh, to this part of the season looking ahead in their next matchup this upcoming week is may 15th at rugby new york with a 12 p.m pacific time uh, start time uh, at jfk stadium down in hoboken so that'll be big again uh currently the uh rugby new york club sits at second in the eastern conference for the playoffs so they've i think they're eight and four though so they're tied with third place so they, it's seattle's fighting team's that are all playing for something as the season continues. They're not going to get any easy matches. Uh, Rugby New York next week. Then it goes uh, Houston, who is fighting for that third playoff spot. And then finally, to wrap up the season, down in L.A. against the Giltinis. The Giltinis, currently sitting at second in the West, um, have pretty much locked up that second spot. And then hmm, that second spot... And essentially looking at 
well, you're playing the defending champs, so that's not any easier either. So, so we head over to the UW side of things uh, with team news on the UW football side of things. Uh, team news, we have a little spring ball recap here, a list of players that did not participate that much, so couldn't get that much of an update on them. Running back Richard Newton, running back Cam Davis, running back Omeka Megwa. So you see the running back room losing three bodies there. Offensive lineman Miles Morrow, defensive lineman Fatu Tutuleli, uh, and linebacker Edifuan Elofosio. Uh, looking over, going to go by a skill position group here. Well, position group down the line. Uh, quarterback position, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, may be named the starter. Kind of seemed like the guy that really stood out the most. But Dylan Morris had a really solid camp and could push everyone. Sam Heward is battling and getting better, but is not fully there yet. The running back switch situation was really bad in camp. There were not really enough running backs available. I know that I think it was uh, one of the sermons uh, had to step in from the quarterback spot and then play running back, and he got injured doing so. Uh, so that's just not good there. There were not enough of backs available. It was mostly Aaron Dumas and JV on Sunday. So Dumas, by default, seemed like the guy that you know was the lead lead back in the situation. Sunday has improved um, from where he was last fall, but needs to continue to develop his ability out of the backfield as a receiver to really improve his value uh, to this team currently. And the uh, wide receiver room, uh, Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan continue to impress as they have, and it truly seems like Seattle, Seattle, the Huskies have a solid amount of depth at the wide receiver spot. Laniata, Alexander, Gilas Jackson also made their presence felt really important, though, that the quarterbacks are able to get these playmakers the ball and that the offense, offensive coordinator does his job in getting the, the ball to these skill players um, throughout the offensive depth chart. At the tight end room, Devin Culp impressed, and it seems like he's primed to make up for the loss of now Tampa Bay Buccaneer Kate Otten. Jack Westover joins the tight end room after previously being listed as a fullback. In the offensive line, Nate Kalepo earns the left guard spot. Giran Hatchett and Troy F- um, Fatuanu uh, will surely get starting reps at potentially several spots along the nine. I know that it was pretty raved about um, their versatility, uh, being able to play those different spots. And the defensive line, Thule, um led to Gasanoa seems to be the leader of that line and potentially most valuable uh, to the defensive line success this upcoming season. Kawa Pehupa uh, seems to be Thule's running mate and was next to him a lot in those starting uh, positions. Lulumo Ale, a former offensive lineman, made some noise in a new spot at the defensive line. Still not quite there in terms of you know being a reliable, I guess, contributor, but made certainly made an impact um, and got a lot of attention from the coaching staff. In terms of the edge, ZTF Zion Tupuola Fatui continues to be the most important piece of this room's success, and his return to form would be really huge for the Huskies. I know at the beginning of the camp it was said that he kind of almost fell into a backup role, but as the camp went on, really got back to sort of being a starter there. Braylon Trice has to be a sleeper at this head position, uh, getting a lot of positive talk, as well as Jeremiah Martin. I know that his college career hasn't really stacked up to what it potentially could be but it really seems that he may have turned a corner here getting a lot of first team reps at the linebacker spot new addition cam bright showed out as the leader of this group even if he is a new addition uh, from Pitt, carson bruner continues to impress alfonso tupatula has also impressed and was earning some starting time so it really seems like the linebacker spot might be one of the deeper spots um along this husky team at the cornerback spot uh 
Ode alum Mish Powell continues to impress, getting good reviews from the cornerback and wide receiver room. Uh, Devon Banks naps the most interceptions of camp and transfer Jordan Perriman impresses as well. At the safety situation, Asa Turner seems like he has finally turned the corner and could have a big year next year. Uh, really, I think also got some leadership nods as well. But Alex Cook, the veteran of the group, continues to impress. I think he got an interception in that spring game that kind of capped off his year, his year, his spring camp. And special teams Peyton Henry picks up where he left off last year. Addison Schrock seems to have a good camp behind Henry. Don't really think his uh, contributions will necessarily be needed this upcoming season. But with the way that the seasons go and injuries, you never know. Uh, both Jack McAllister and Kevin Ryan were getting reps at the punter spot and may be used in a situational platoon, so we'll be really interested to see how they may be used uh, using <laughs> two punters, both left-footed and right-footed, so we'll be seeing that. But that's sort of our little uh, camp in review there. Um, so we continue over to continue with the rest of UW Football News. UW offers... Isaiah Hunter is a 2023 grad as a two-way athlete sitting at 6'2", 190 pounds. was told by the coaching staff that he would be a good fit in the program on the defensive side of the ball, interestingly enough. A three-dub, uh, three-dub, three-star linebacker commits to UW. Devin Bryant commits to UW out of St. John Bosco in Bellflower, California. Uh, he's a 2023 grad holding, uh, previously holding offers from Colorado, Fresno State, Louisville, and Nevada. Uh, continuing with the news, offensive tackle Jackson Kirkland returns to UW for the 2022 season. He had been waiting to the NCAA for the NCAA, pardon me, to accept his letter to return. In terms of pro dogs, uh, the Atlanta Falcons will decline right tackle Caleb McGarry's fifth-year option. In general college football news, uh, an ASU player was charged with a DUI. Police charged Sun Devils football player Stanley Lambert with a DUI after a pedestrian was struck by a car and later died from her injuries. Um, Jesus, I got there quick. Um, heading over to baseball-related news, as there's nothing for women's basketball or men's basketball. Uh, baseball took on the number eight team in the country, UCLA, um, looking to continue their string of luck or success, whatever you want to call it, following their uh, series win over number six, Stanford. Uh, starting off May 6th versus UCLA, a 7-1 win. Player of the game number one, third baseman Michael Snyder going 2-3 for three with two runs and four RBIs, including a home run. Player of the game number two, pitcher Jared Engman. Engman going, two, going seven innings, allowing four hits, one run, zero earned, one walk, six strikeouts, and 26 batters faced. Um, May 7th versus UCLA, a 5-4 win. Player of the game, catcher Johnny Tinsher going 1-3 for three with one run and two RBIs. And then to finish out the series and complete the sweep of number 8 UCLA, a 4-3 win, a walk-off win in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, player of the game, shortstop Cam Clayton going 1-5, for five, but one RBI getting the walk-off single in the bottom of the ninth. So UW coming off of their series win against number 6 Stanford, um, a sweep of number 8 UCLA. Is this a turning around point in the season? Are they getting better? I don't... Is this a streak of luck? I don't know. But I guess it shows that the series win over Stanford wasn't just a one-time fluke. The baseball team sits at a 21-24 and record, ranked 10th in the Pac-12. Looking ahead, their upcoming schedule is May 10th versus Seattle U at 6.05 tonight. May 13th at USC, uh, 7 o'clock. May 14th at USC, a 1 o'clock game. And May 15th at USC, USC a 12 o'clock game. Heading over to softball here. 
uh, softball played at Utah in their final road trip of the regular season. May 6th at Utah, a 2-5 loss. Uh, May 7th at Utah, a 3-4 loss as well. And May 8th at Utah, a 5-1 win. Uh, heading over to team-related news, um, on May 4th, infielder Bailey Klingler named the top, a top 10 finalist for the USA Softball Player of the Year. It is her second consecutive year uh, being in the final 10. Last year, teammates Gabby Plain and Sis Bates were among the finalists. Uh, Bailey Klingler leads the Pac-12 in batting average at 450, home runs at 21, RBIs at 63, RBIs per game at 143, uh, slugging at 1.014, and ranking top 10 in the NCAA in all offensive categories. She holds a 94.943 feeling percentage at the time being, and the top three finalists will be announced on May 18th, with a winner being announced prior to the Women's College World Series. Starting pitcher Gabby Plain was drafted by Athletes Unlimited. Plain was selected in the AU College Softball Draft, one of 13 NCAA student-athletes selected. The 2021 Pac-12 Player of the Year, uh, Pitcher of the Year, pardon me, uh, is also a three-time All-American. Um, three-time Pac-12 first-team honoree, a finalist for USC, USA's Softball Collegiate Player of the Year Award last year. The second Husky in program history to hit 1,000 strikeouts. Fourth, uh, fourth Husky with 100-plus career wins. She sits at a career ERA of 1.49, uh, throwing 81 complete games and 44 shutouts. Um, former Husky Sis Bates, Courtney Gano, and Victoria Hayward will all play in AU in the 2022 season. So following that 2-1 to series uh, loss to Utah, uh, UW sits at 10th in the country. They are 34 and 30, 34 and 13 on the season. Their Pac-12 rank is currently third. Their upcoming schedule is against the number one team in the Pac-12, the team that currently sits, I think, ninth in the country. Uh, it's kind of weird. Some places rank ASU ninth and UW tenth, and some rank UW ninth and ASU tenth. So it's kind of they're kind of right next to each other. Uh, but to finish out the season, they finish it out at home. May 12th versus Arizona State at 7 o'clock. Uh, May 13th versus Arizona State at 5 o'clock. And May 14th versus Arizona State at 1 p.m. Uh, so a big series there coming to finish it up. The Finish up the regular season right before selection and all that against Arizona State. Um, and the only thing that we have to finish up the episode uh, is men's soccer in team-related news on May 7th. Ryan Saylor, uh, former Husky in his first year in MLS, made his pro debut for Inter-Miami, uh, recording a 6.5 rating in 90 minutes, one shot, a 75% pass accuracy percentage, two blocks, and nine clearances. So congrats to Ryan there. With that being said, pretty jam-packed episode. Uh, make sure to check out our episode, our interview last week with uh, Tanning Tupou Sr. of our Seattle Seawolves, uh, episode 150 of the podcast, episode, I think, 46 of the Seattle Interview Series. Um, check out Wolf Wednesdays if you want to watch these uh, in video format. We'll have that for you coming up tomorrow. Check out the Seattle Interviews, uh, Circling Seattle Sports on Converge, um, that came out yesterday. All of our content there. Uh, we'll have blogs for you, obviously, of every home game here in Seattle. Again, just I've seen the other competition. There is nobody doing what we were doing here. Uh, so take care of yourself, be well, and do your best to make today a great day. Baba Bowie.